0: One thing I didn't want to do is to go and just rebadge an existing strategy and call it ESG or call it sustainability or call it impact.
1: Opportunists, gamblers, scammers selling get-rich-quick strategies. The investment industry has always flirted with short-term mentality. No wonder the climate crisis has generated so much static. Welcome to Jutes, a show about jumping out of the system, Jutsing, bringing fresh thinking to entrenched problems. Now even though the sustainability and impact investment space has been growing rapidly, its evolution has been uneven at best. For many so-called ESG and impact funds, even defining their terms and their goals has been problematic. Mooney Magni's path has been much more focused and organized. A path that's led him from traditional investment management at one of the big global firms, to starting his own practice with his own bespoke analytical framework. The latest step in that evolution has been the creation of a unique collaborative coalition that tackles climate not just as an investment challenge, but as a practical one. We'll talk about the Gigaton coalition in part two But we began the conversation by talking about his background and the evolutionary impetus he's bringing to the world of investment.
0: My investing career started in 94. Since 1994 till now, I have always been a fund manager. And uh, what I mean by fund manager, investing for institutional and retail investors. And about 10 years ago, I started seeing the need by institutional investors at least not retail but institutional investors that they wanted to move their portfolios from a risk return outcome to a risk return sustainability outcome and in the last 5 years some of them have even started talking about risk return impact outcomes and i think for that to be achieved 7 years ago i started thinking about how does investing have to change Uh, And the more I got deeper into that for my clients, I decided this needed a bit more attention from my own side. So, And how I sort of think about investing, my philosophies of investing, my skill sets of investing. So I left and did a Master's of Environmental Management in 2019 and 20. I also left my previous institution, uh, which is Morgan Stanley Investment Management, to
1: set up Panaki Partners. Tell me a little bit about the industry evolution itself? Not just your personal evolution, but the industry evolution. I mean, did you notice around you that change into more impact lenses coming in? How did that begin and how strong was that trend?
0: So so I think first we need to just remember that the investment management industry is an industry that is not open to innovation, unlike most other industries. And from that perspective, even when sustainability and ESG started coming into the funds management, investment, and management space, my space, let's say in the last 10, 15 years, it was always done at a very small, incremental, without upsetting the clients, without telling them that my strategy has changed. And then that still continues to be the case, even for some of the folks that are now calling for impact investing. And for myself and my team at Panaki Panas, we wanted to be that jet ski that runs ahead of the big tankers who eventually will move in the direction of sustainable and uh, climate or impact investing in other forms of capital.
1: What about on the personal side then? Why are you the guy on the jet ski rather than the guy on the tanker? Everyone has a personal evolution story in the impact space.
0: My personal journey, which kind of runs parallel to this and influences the professional, was that I, in a past younger life, did a lot of mountain climbing. I spent a lot of time climbing in New Zealand. I've climbed Mount Cook and Mount Aspiring, done a lot of glacier traversing. And even when I did that about a decade and a half ago, I saw what was happening there uh, in terms of the glaciers melted and speaking to the locals there. Um, I've done a marathon in Arctic Circle, speaking to the locals there. So I had on a personal level enough, you could say, experience of seeing what climate change was doing to some of these places that are, not, are off the beaten track. So as you're saying, my personal journey of climate sort of awareness was kind of parallel to my professional journey. And now they've come together
1: in a way. So having decided that you're going to move into that particular aspect of, of investment management, how did you come up with Panaki Partners? Because what you have done has been not a typical route. It hasn't just been, okay, I'll set up an impact fund. You've created a whole theory and a philosophy and a strategy around how this happens. Tell me how you came to that and what it it resulted in.
0: One thing I didn't want to do is to go and just rebadge an existing strategy and call it ESG or call it sustainability or call it impact. I'm one of those people having trained for, for marathons is that these things take time. You need to go through a 10K run, a 21K run, then get to 32, then get to a 42 and then do it again and again and again. I knew that you needed to change how you started with everything, You're eating, pro- how, what you eat, how you train, how you sleep. So for that, I had to step away from the traditional investing frameworks and think about how does investing need to evolve. And this is where, as you were saying, that we've got our own philosophy, which is pan-vesting. Pan meaning all, investing means being vested in. And we are invested in all forms of capital, which is human, social, and environmental capital alongside financial capital that a company needs to make products, services, and profits, right? And so I just saw that three other forms of capital were being treated as expenses, and they needed to be treated as assets. And if they were treated as assets by investee companies, then us as shareholders would be benefiting from not only good financial returns, but also delivering on some of the other, let's say, non-financial uh, outcomes. So that's the idea of panvesting, it is not just mere risk reduction, panvesting is all about our companies truly vested in the other forms of capital, human, social, environmental and using them as almost treating them as assets, not expenses. That's the first thing uh, that we are unique at. Uh, our scoring system is, uh, and our view of companies is always seen from that lens, not a risk reduction lens, but progressive, positive, forward-looking lens. The second one where we are different uh, i would say from esg investing uh, or esg scores or scoring systems is that most of them are a point in time what is the company doing right now relative to its peers are they good better ugly versus the benchmark ours is not that view ours is we look at each company's resilience scoring in terms of its journey its sustainability journey from the time they've actually woken up to the fact that there are other stakeholders other than shareholders that need to be taken care of, where are they at in that journey? And our scoring system and our review and analysis is all based on, are they progressing other forms of capital in line with their financial capital targets as well? And that's, that's again, where we are at in Panaki Partners. Our philosophy is different. So it, it, even though we get thrown into the whole ESG sustainable fund manager bucket which is perfectly fine for us when people do speak to us and you know lift the hood and what we do that's the difference they find is that it's always about the progressive returns on human social environmental
1: capital it's about the journey not a point in time all right that's that's what they find in terms of the approach what about in terms of the effect because you're a fairly young company and track record is still something that you're working on but how's it working out for you we've
0: had some wins we've seen proof of our concept coming through we've also had made some big mistakes uh we have to admit that some of the sustainability poster child's Uh, have not uh, actually been able to bring our idea of progress on human, social, environmental capital.
1: Such as what? Give me an example.
0: I would say some of the consumer staple names, some of the the Unilevers of the world have not really delivered. They might have delivered in terms of their sustainability credentials, but Unilever is one example where over the last seven to eight years, our panvesting philosophy has not worked. Where, where we've seen the panvesting philosophy really shine and come through is on environmental capital. So companies in our portfolio who have truly addressed environmental capital as an asset and grow and focus on that, they're the companies such as, I would say, train technologies out of America or Schneider Electric out of Europe. They're two prime examples of poster childs of panvesting for us where uh, the investing philosophy and has and our approach of looking at resiliency over time has come through also in financial returns.
1: The other thing that comes up now, uh, as you're talking with the names that you're bringing up that makes you slightly different, is investing in listed equities. I mean, most people, when they go into an ESG investment, come to it from the perspective of investing in smaller companies, in going through uh, private capital or startup-type funding, Yeah, choosing to Try and make a difference through the medium of listed equities, the global companies over which you have very little control is an interesting approach. Why that? I think uh, uh, if you look at sustainable investing and impact
0: investing, many people, as you said, do try to focus on the new brand, new idea. They think that the change makers only come in the form of new innovation and disruptors. There's this this idea that we've kind of taken from uh, technology. And especially from the early 2000s, we've learned that oh, any new innovator has to be a disruptor,
1: right? Tech is sexy. Innovation is sexy. Startups are sexy. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: And some of that might be true. And that's why you, th- you saw people investing in Beyond Meat, right, or various other sort of new technologies over the last you know, decade or so. But I think one area where people have ignored uh, is that the traditional incumbents, most probably have the most potential impact, and also they have the biggest ability to make a change towards sustainable sort of practices. I don't know if you know, and the listeners know that there are two companies in Japan whose collective scope one, two, and three is greater than Australia as a country. Two. So while everyone, all the investors around the world, are putting money to work on the private equity side and Hoping for technologies to emerge that will carbon capture or carbon capture and store. Right under their noses, they have companies in their portfolio currently, if they engage with, if they help, they support, provide climate solutions to, they can reduce their carbon emissions substantially more. Now, why has that not happened? And that is where we're coming from, and that's where my team are coming from is like, there's gotta be a reason why a Hitachi or a Toshiba, or a Toyota or a Honda or many other companies around, at least in Asia Pacific, and this applies globally, why aren't investors, big institutional investors, small retail investors, why aren't they coming together and saying to these companies, please reduce your scope one, two, three, or especially your scope three, because the impact of that would be massive. So the leap is not easy. We fully respect going from sustainable to impact investing in listed equities has a lot of hurdles, a lot of challenges. But at least we humbly are proposing a solution, especially when it comes to climate and carbon.
1: What evidence do you have that your approach and what you're doing is actually delivering change, either in the environmental space or anything else? So much of the conversation is around how active investors Uh, And, uh, you know, boardroom revolt has actually not managed to deliver too much in the way of making companies change their ways.
0: Actually, I I don't know if that's correct, because if you look, uh, at least for the last decade, there's been numerous instances where small shareholders have actually been able to move the needle uh, with big companies, whether you look at Nestle in 2013 with waters, how they used water in their processes and in the products. We had Shell and Exxon had to remove board members or put on sort of climate focused board members. So I think there are increasing signs that small shareholders can actually influence the board, can actually get them to make significant changes to what they're doing. In my 30 years of engaging with companies, I have found that most companies are willing to engage in a positive way as long as it's non-threatening and value add. And as long as we're doing those two things, then listed companies have always positively reacted.
1: How is that different to uh, the standard approach to impact investing? How how does that differ from other companies who are getting into this space?
0: What I've shared with you is not impact investing. What I've shared with you is you could say sustainable investing, ESG investing plus plus, or what we call panvesting. So impact investing is is much more evolved. And that is where the biggest problem for the industry is that most people are still trying to understand the difference between your sustainable outcomes where financial returns is still very important, if not a priority, but you're doing it with minimizing negative externalities. And that's what our first fund, Global Panvest Fund does. That's what our panvesting philosophy at its core started doing five, six years ago. Now, over the years, we've learned from our portfolio companies to say, okay, can we identify companies who actually go the next step, who actually can actually focus on one of these other forms of capital And we can then identify these companies as being deliverers of certain impact in a certain field, in a certain metric. And that, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that people, investors, need to make a big distinction between sustainable investing versus impact. Impact investing is where the fund manager or the investor is explicitly saying, I'm only investing in this company because it delivers a certain non-financial outcome. As an example... If I go and say that I want to buy companies, and I claim this is an impact strategy, and I want to buy companies that are going to reduce the carbon emissions by a billion tons, right? My filtering process as an investor can only start and finish with carbon reduction metrics as being the key focus driver. So as long as I'm saying I've got a candidate list of 325 companies, they've only been chosen because they have a very large carbon footprint. They also have got intentions and decarbonization targets. From this 325 companies, I'm going to choose 25 companies who actually are going to reduce a billion tons of carbon emissions. Now, in all that conversation, what has not been uttered? Financial returns yet, right? That financial returns then comes later where we say, okay, I will only buy these 25 companies as long as I'm pretty sure that financially they're not gonna go belly up. That then becomes an impact investment.
1: So obviously this has led you to a point where you've created a, a strategy and a theory of investment that aligns uh, much more closely, I guess, with ideas of impact, of sustainability, of environment, and various forms of capital. Uh, and that is evident in this new venture that you've put forward, the G- the Gigaton Coalition and your new Asian Climate Fund. Before we get onto that, Just a quick word about why you have decided to go from a sustainability fund to an impact fund. Uh, And is is there greater value in the impact fund in your mind than there is in a sustainability fund?
0: Most investors, traditional investors, still don't fully appreciate that the tools, the skill sets, the frameworks required for impact investing are very different from traditional investing and even... A lot more evolved from sustainable investing. So an average investor can become a sustainable investor, ESG investor, but for them to then move to the impact investing is not a simple step. It is a pretty big step to take. That's the first thing I want to highlight to most people. And people who would agree with that are the people who've been doing impact investing for decades. And these are your developmental financial institutions. These are your uh, non-for-profit organizations. These are your foundations and charitable institutions. They've been doing impact investing for, with all their frameworks, and they've over the last three, four decades, they've developed fairly clear guidelines, frameworks, tools, and principles that need to be deployed for anyone to claim impact and additionality, right? Now, that jump from sustainable to impact investing, even internally for us, has taken us two years of back and forth, back and forth on a few strategies before now we have come to the conclusion that at least in the listed equity space, we can deliver impact at scale and with integrity. And this is where the one thing that we had to innovate is the Gigaton Coalition. That, was the, that, was, that is one of the key elements of listed equities in our humble opinion, being able to graduate or evolve from just being sustainable investments to impact investments. And that is the
1: reason why we created the Gigaton Coalition. And in the next episode, we'll hear about how the Gigaton Coalition is introducing a different kind of shareholder activism. By uniting investors, investees and solutions providers, the coalition is aiming to accelerate the adoption of practical and collaborative real-world strategies that will help Asia's biggest polluting companies slash their carbon emissions.